0: listening to By The Well, a lectionary-based podcast for preachers recorded on the
1: land of the Wurundjeri people. Hello, I'm Rachel Kronberger.
0: And I'm Kylie Crabb. And today we're so glad to have you here listening along with us. And we're going to be discussing the readings for uh, Pentecost 21. And specifically, we're going to have a look at Exodus 33, verses 12 to 23, and Matthew 22, verses 15 to 22. So, Rachel, uh, shall we get stuck into Exodus 33? I'm wondering uh, what's going on here? What's the kind of bigger context or what what are we going to hear about in this reading in Exodus 33?
1: Thanks, Kylie. So the people of God are, are gradually drawing together as a unified people, learning about who they are and to whom they belong, And Moses has a tent of meeting set up in the camp of the people and God comes to visit Moses in a pillar of cloud and they have uh, these meetings in the tent and the people can see the cloud and they can see when Moses is talking to God. And so the reading that we have for this week, Exodus 33, beginning at verse 12, is one of the conversations that Moses has with God in the tent of meeting. Fantastic.
0: Fantastic. And it's uh, it's it's a kind of interesting interaction, yeah. He hears some uh, some interesting things. There's a bit of funny back and forth where God says some stuff, and Moses, I don't know, does Moses mishear God here. What's going on?
1: I think Moses has a longing to be sure that yeah. he is doing what God has called him to do, and that God will be with him, yeah. and that God will um, be sufficiently revealed to him for him to be confident in the tasks that God has for him.
0: Mm. Mm. So, and in this kind of shoring up sort of conversation, you know, Moses is thinking, uh, I I don't know, maybe we would relate to this kind of thing. Moses feels like he's been given this really big task, my kind of impression here. And he wants to know who else is going to
1: help. Yes. (laughs) What's
0: going on? Who else is going to help me with this? And, And God he's like, you know, who will be with me? Um, you've asked me to do this thing, um, and and it, God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest.
1: Such a beautiful affirmation. What more could we possibly need than God with us and God giving us rest? That it's um, in that idea of Sabbath that we had just uh, two weeks ago with the Ten Commandments and the way that Sabbath rest gives um, meaning to the work that we do God will give Moses not only God's presence but the rest that um, that will accompany his work?
0: Mm. Mm. It's kind of a it feels like a heartening word when you are feeling overwhelmed by the size of the task you've been given. Yeah that the that the response is you know like who, who is my partner in this? Who's my helper? Well, that's God, but also that it's not just about the task; it's about that relationship or something. Absolutely that as it carries on through the story yeah yeah that's great and then uh, um, just looking ahead at, at in the next section about what what then happens in this story it's something kind of remarkable um, and it will be a famous story to to lots of people with this kind of idea that Moses wants to see God um and uh, and and then there's this interaction about the way that Moses can, See something of the presence of God.
1: Yeah, Moses. Moses has a feeling; seems to feel that he would be more confident to do what God's called him to do if only he could see God for himself. That God has come to Moses in a cloud, um, and there's been there have been veils and all these um, ways in which God has been partially obscured. Mm. Um, but Moses is required to constantly make himself vulnerable as a leader. Um, and is has a great longing to uh, to be certain of of what he's been called to do and who God is, who has called him.
0: Mm. Mm. So it's a funny. I I think I don't know. It's it's tempting to see this kind of interaction as you know, uh, Moses wants more from God than God gives, or you know this kind of this idea. And we definitely this is a kind of idea that gets played on sometimes with some Christian theology that tries to contrast. Um, the way that we see God in the incarnation, with this kind of you know imperfect version of being able to see or or whatnot that we get in Moses's story and all those other iterations of it that you're describing as well. But I think there's something really important in here about um, sort of getting ourselves into the the headspace that understands the the true transcendence of God, the otherness of God, and to think about um, the um a worldview where there is a total clash between um the sacred the holiest of um of things that we also get in the temple but God being you know the the most holy um and the profane which doesn't mean like I guess profanity makes it seem like profane is bad but it's not it's just the opposite of the of the sacred and to actually understand this world that this is a this is an actual clash this is like a this is a problem of um, of being. They just can't be in the same place. It's dangerous. It's actually properly dangerous to have the the most holy things um, in the world in in certain kinds of ways. So um, there there is something. Uh, I th- I don't know. I feel like there's something important to wonder about in this story, rather than just thinking that um, uh, God is too distant from Moses here. Because in fact, there's this real. There's this real intimacy, it seems, in the invitation to a relationship that the Lord is offering Moses here.
1: There's and, an intense yeah. closeness and yeah. a beautiful, uh, tender care that, you know, when God says to Moses, um, you come and stand in this rock mm-hmm. and when I pass by, I'll put my hand up to cover you so that I won't hurt you mm-hmm. and you'll see my back, but not my front. And there's yeah. all this care that God takes with um, when God reveals God's self to Moses mm-hmm. that, um, that he that God won't endanger Moses. Moses will be safe yep. in this moment of of because um, because the revealing is also a kind of exposure. It's like a uh, exposure to something that is uh, is too much.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in fact, there is something that uh, with those background conditions, like tr- like having an appreciation for just how big a thing it is to to kind of cross this divide, this sense of the otherness of the holy and and whatnot. Um, there there is something here about them that you would notice if you've got the sense of that background, about the measures, the lengths that God's going to to come to Moses here and to reassure him with all of his, oh, but how about this? And how is this gonna work? And um, you know, that that God is meeting him where he is.
1: Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And and even though God does not give Moses what Moses asks for, God does give Moses everything Moses needs to do what Moses is called yeah, yeah, to do. Yeah. It's very interesting um, that idea of uh God who is beyond us. It's been um there's been a popular thread in um in the church's uh preaching ministry, I think, about um talking a lot about God who is close by and our close companion and our faithful friend, you know, there's yeah. a, a lot, and that's hugely important for us. And we see that um, manifest so strongly in the incarnation in Jesus, mm. but um, but the transcendence of God and the God who is beyond and is too much mm. for us mm. and is, um, is outside of us is such an important part of our understanding of God and the significance of god with us can only be known if we understand god also beyond us yes. and there's a beautiful coming together of those two ideas in this in this passage
0: exactly i think exactly there's this kind of connection between the transcendence and the imminence and that we and we see both those things this is sort of what i'm trying to say about not um, caricaturing a kind of New Testament, Old Testament idea, because we also get that sense of transcendence and otherness of God in the New Testament. Yes, you might think even of the Transfiguration or passages like that. We still get that that sense, and yet there is, of course, the central claim one of incarnation. So, in in both passages, we're we're getting this, or both traditions there, we're getting this sense of um, of of god who is other and yet crossing a divide to be with um yeah,
1: yes with and it's us. god's activity to cross over that are yeah. uh, those barriers between the human and the divine realm yes and god chooses to be with us yes. at every turn
0: yes yes and and it also um uh in fact i kind of i i'm gonna uh mention this but it was something that rachel actually mentioned just before we started recording but the the inverse is also in this passage where the bit um, where it said that God knows the the name of Moses and God sees Moses so while Moses can't see yes um, God in well can only briefly and from behind and in with this protective hand and rock around see God the reverse is not you know that God is totally seeing where Moses is at and wanting to support him as he is about to be sent out into this tricky ministry.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely.
0: So it seems, Rachel, like Rachel, that there's like lots of things that we could wonder about here in, um, in, in preaching and in worship. Does anything strike you particularly that you'd want to draw out if you were having a com- conversation with your own congregation about this?
1: I think um, my first thought is actually about what we sing, because oh, yeah. often our hymns try to grapple with this idea of the transcendent and the imminent yes. in describing God, and uh, hymns like Immortal, Invisible, which are um, fling us to the you know outer yeah. reaches of the universe in our sense of God's transcendence. But um, there are others which um, speak very strongly about God's presence with us and making sure that we hold the two together in the songs that we choose for worship would be my first um Instinct, uh, and and for that to support the um, a sermon reflecting on, I think the importance of holding those two together, and um, and insisting really on the incarnation being a um, a continuation and a fulfilment of this promise, uh, and not something that is separate or um, or replacing of of it.
0: Sounds beautiful. That that sounds great. Okay, folks, we're going to turn shortly to the Matthew 22 reading. Be back. If you'd like to know more about By the Well or any of our hosts, please visit bythewell.com.au. Well, Rachel, this is one of the... I don't know, one of the trickier readings potentially in Matthew. That's, that's a massive call. We've had a whole lot of tricky readings recently from Matthew. But uh, here in Matthew's Gospel, we have, um, we're have we beginning a set of four kind of conflict stories. So we've had a whole lot of uh, parables that have been confronting in their own way. We're going to come back to some more parables after this. But here we have the first of four conflict stories where people come to
1: Jesus and hassle him. So, And I think we need to remember that this um, passage in Matthew 22, we begin today at verse 15, um, comes in what we know as Holy Week when Jesus has entered into Jerusalem on the donkey, has uh, cleansed the temple and has been in highly charged, intense um, arguments already with um the religious leaders of his own community mm. and uh, and it's into that um mm. setting this highly charged very tense um mm. conflicted setting that we have today's story
0: yes great so that um and it is worth perhaps so we're we're leading up of course to the the conflict over the um the famous render unto caesar story if people haven't had a chance to to read the reading in advance but so so this is what's happening and it's maybe worth thinking um a bit together so the the as you say it's highly charged the tension is really mounting in Matthew's gospel at this stage where we're on our way to the passion as you as you say um and to just think perhaps a little bit about the role that these um, characters, the Pharisees, um, are going to going to have here in escalating that violence uh, or that conflict, and, and thinking about how we how we talk about that. I mean, Rachel, how do how would you tackle in a congregational setting? Like, how do you think about um, Pharisees in this in this sense?
1: Oh, I think about them as representing um, Jesus' own tradition. So Jesus in dialogue with them is in dialogue with his own yes. tradition, his yes. own uh, scriptures, his own um, – the uh, the ideas of the worshipping community of which he is a part. Yep. Um, it's interesting in this part of Matthew, over the last few weeks we've been reading, we had Jesus um, had a debate, first of all, with the Pharisees and the chief priests mm-hmm. and then with the Pharisees and the elders of the people and now the Pharisees and the Herodians um, mm. come to Jesus. So that so the Pharisees are the con, the point of continuity in each of these conversations with Jesus. Mm.
0: Yes, great. And they're um, all such important stuff to be thinking about. And they are they're also literary characters, right? Like yes, whatever yeah, we yeah. know about um, the different uh, groups within Judaism in this time, which is. Sometimes people are surprised to learn less than we might confidently assume. Um, a lot of our material about them comes really f- from Josephus, who tells us about different groups, but he's telling them in a very stylized way as well. So we don't necessarily know um, so much apart from that and the New Testament. And it's clear here that the that the the gospels are are. T- talking about stylized characters. I mean, there definitely were historical Pharisees as well, but that's not what our story is necessarily telling us, right? Um, uh, apart from, of course, what what you're saying already, Rachel, that this connection between. Um, you know, that's an within the same community kind of conflict, yeah. So we, we can um, add some things to the show notes that are also some helpful resources if people are interested in thinking about how we talk about Pharisees and, of course, because um, uh, we want to make sure that we're not talking about contemporary Judaism or the rabbinic um, Judaism that emerges out of Second Temple Judaism, just like um, uh, Christianity emerges out of Second Temple Judaism when we're talking about those characters.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah, great. But so, what's really interesting today yeah. is that the Herodians and the Pharisees, so the previous conversation partners between with um, that the Pharisees have brought to yes. Jesus have been um, more natural friends of the Pharisees as characters yes. in the story. Yes. But the Herodians are the um, people who have been given uh, a sort of a puppet um, throne under the Roman Empire. Empire yep. and are absolute allies of the uh, the occupying forces, and they have partnered with the Pharisees, who are not in any way supportive of the Roman Empire. So they've come together to Jesus to present to Jesus a trap, yeah, in order to accuse him of something that will lead to his um, his arrest.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So really, inter- so we've got this. We're immediately thrust into this kind of problem of empire, this problem of authority or, you know, what – and, of course, the presenting issue is this question about whether um, it's lawful to pay taxes to the emperor. So, uh, yeah, really uh, well-known reading and controversial one. Um, I think it's often used as an example of um, accommodation, you know, that there's this kind of, you know – you know, you do this for the kind of secular thing and you do this for the religious thing and it's all nice and separate and uh, it seems accommodationist. And um, I, I might also flag that I think uh, the the reading that we might um, often associate with in a funny way is Romans 13 about being under the authority and it also raises questions about taxes. Um, but to try not to conflate those readings, which all each have their own context to try and – uh, make sense of things. Um, but but here, I think the thing, like you say, Rachel, exactly, it's a trap, right? Yeah.
1: And you can see it. I mean, they start off with this big flattering kind of um, address to Jesus about, um, teacher, we know that you are sincere. Like, yeah. it actually, it's so drippy that it yeah, sounds yeah, almost yeah. sarcastic, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And then a way of God got, in yeah.
1: accordance <laughs> with truth. Um, but tell us what you think. And then they yeah. present the trap. It's it's yes. It's a piece of work kind of um conversation yes. that they, they put yep. to Jesus and they ask him an either or question. Yes. So is it this or is it that? And Jesus refuses to accept the premise of the question, which is yep. of course the only way to engage in a political um <laughs> yep. uh confrontation. Po- yeah, yep. yeah,
0: that kind of ultimatum. That um and and I think um I mean it's also helpful to know, right, the the power of coins in this context oh, yeah. that we've got this you know, there is a tradition. So people, if you think about it, it's not um, uh, not necessarily like a kind of contemporary mint would be. These, each of these coins is sort of handmade but with a kind of thing where you strike the coin with a sort of – Template and it bangs onto it, and in fact, it works such in such a way that you can you can restrike a coin. So you'd have uh, you can have a local leader or a bigger leader whose image is on this coin, um, and then if there is some kind of change in regime or change in leadership, you can restrike it with the new image. And uh, you know, as we write this in Australia, we're conscious we're about to get a new set of coins with um, uh King Charles. Yes, we've
1: oh. only ever had Queen Elizabeth on our yeah, yeah, yeah. on our coins here in Australia <laughs> and um and we're about to get the new King Charles coins yeah. coming through. Yeah. Which is um I think it's going to be quite shocking for people yeah. to see the, ch- because it's a point of acknowledgement of a change of that a change. that so far we mainly know in theory. Yeah. yeah.
0: So there's all sorts of things that happen in antiquity, um, and including I would say something you might have heard of called the Bar Kokba revolt, which is in uh, it's one thirty two to thirty five. So it's after uh, all the stories we're talking about in the New Testament, but it's an, it's another conflict between Jewish people and Rome, uh, and they you know this is a very hopeful movement that strikes its own coins like you know so when there's a new change um, then you know there you can you can do that you have a new image but what we've got here then if that's what's going on that's the importance that we get behind having coins with images on them it's really interesting that the way that uh, Jesus sort of tries to address this question is to ask them to produce a coin Yes, and they're revealed to have not Jesus. They are revealed to have this coin that shows a certain um, uh, connection to to Caesar to the to the. To they're the carrying
1: empire. the coins of the empire. Yes. Um. What's lovely as preachers, regular preachers, listening, yeah. you will have looked up the um what the text means by a denarius. Yes. Three weeks ago, when we read the laborers in the vineyard, and uh, and so you'll know that a denarius is a usual daily wage, a single coin that is a usual daily wage. And so they produce from their pocket, one of the people he's, Jesus is talking to has just lying around in their pocket, mm. a coin that is a usual daily wage for a labourer. So that yep. indicates something of um, of their wealth, of their willingness to engage with the empire and with yep. um, their kind of ready access to money. Yep. And uh, and so they there's a, um, and an admission, really, of their own um, loyalty to the empire that they're inviting Jesus to challenge mm. in that moment of producing the coin.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. So we have this story. This yeah, this story that is often I don't know cited to talk about a certain kind of um, Christian accommodation to the outside world that you can separate your kind of faith from your practice or something. It's often deployed in that way perhaps but I think there's something much more uh, nuanced going on here but it does it does invite us I think to wonder about sort of both ends of that spectrum and um, uh, in fact I've I've been reading this um, book by Ernst Kesemann it's a translation of his kind of more popular writings of different kinds Um so obviously a, a German biblical scholar, theologian from the mid 20th century. Um, it's called On Being a Disciple of the Crucified Nazarene. Um, and I, I mean, I find that, and I'm thinking about one essay in particular that talks about a sort of um, tension between sacrifice and accommodation. And he's really, really concerned in his setting. Um, as you can well imagine, mid twentieth century Germany um, during Nazi occupation, uh, well d- during the Nazi period, all of this stuff um, uh, to think about um, how th- how how this works really in in Christian life. When are we um, when are we accommodating? What is the sacrifice that's that's at play? And I think that we have this question. You could approach this reading with Jesus. Um, uh and the coin saying on the one hand he seems to be handing over power to you know yes pay your taxes in this kind of you know participate in this economy as as that works on the other hand he could be saying seem to be completely outside that entire world that entire system because he doesn't have he doesn't produce a coin himself he's no. not participating so this could be um I, I think it's an interesting passage to use to reflect on how that tension works in our own lives, yeah. um, functioning inside and outside these systems. And of course, the way that the reading points us towards what the reading points us towards ultimately is the superiority of of God as the as the one to whom we really show our allegiance, who is beyond, uh, above, throughout that whole
1: system, and greater yeah. even than empire. And that and yes. it tackles some of those. Questions the disciples have had along the whole journey in Matthew about um, what the Messiah will do, and mm-hmm. um, and Jesus' insistence that um, that he's not there for a political liberation, but for a universal salvation. And yes. there's a um, a flinging open of of our categories, even of empire, and like Jesus can see beyond even empire to something yes. greater. And it's that um, that. Uh, Transcendence of God question yes. again that we talked about when yes. we were discussing Moses. I think
0: yes, and how it um, that entire thing relativizes the entire um, uh, imperial system that that is at play here. But I also want to at the same time ask really hard questions about how we do and don't participate in that yeah. as we reflect on this together. How you know it can be easy to say um, money is of no importance when we have money. So what does this this passage sound like to to a range of different listeners and how can we listen with those from the edges, I guess?
1: Yes, Um, Amy Jill Levine in her Jewish annotated New Testament has a lovely little piece about paying taxes in which she suggests that Jesus is putting the question back to the Pharisees and the Herodians to answer um, the question they put to him for themselves. And really, um, I think we ask... um, it does require for us to ask those questions of ourselves as well. How, what, what values will we bring to our decisions about the money that we yes. have and the political involvement we choose and the allegiances that we give to God and to humans and yes. to the church and all those questions that they are things that we're required to think through for ourselves.
0: Yes, great. And thinking about, I mean, that's one thing I know for me to talk about Ernst Kesemann from Germany, um, you know, obviously in a very particular difficult circumstance. But who are the contemporary voices um, in in difficult circumstances beyond difficult circumstances that we should be listening to yeah. to help us um, see the the gospel in new ways? In this way, um, as we come to uh, wind things up, um, uh, speaking about uh, Amy Jill Levine's annotated. Uh, uh, jewish new testament puts me in mind of another plug that i'd like to give which is for the upcoming preach fest um uh conference i think it's a conference or convention work set of workshops it's going to be really wonderful amy jill uh levine is one of the keynote speakers along with some other fantastic speakers including stan grant and a whole range of other wonderful people um I will also be giving some workshops on disability in the Bible, but there, there's a whole range of people, so you can check out uh, information on the on the Facebook page. It's something that you can participate in um, uh, online or in person, uh, and it's and in Sydney sh- or and, Melbourne and in Sydney or Melbourne um, in person. Yeah, so check out the By the World pod, um, uh, podcast Facebook page for some more information if
1: you're interested in that.
0: Uh, Rachel, thanks so much for the conversation today about these readings. It's
1: been great to talk with you today, Kylie, and blessings to all you preachers. Yes, go well, everyone.
0: By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson. Thanks for listening.